ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then, we're going to start this new book that we mentioned, Mukhtasar Siratun Nabi, or Siratun Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa Sirati Ashabihi al-Asharah, radiyallahu anhum. A summarized Sirah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and after that, the ten companions who were given the glad tidings of paradise. Initially, the first thing we're going to do is look at the author of this book, a brief biography of who the author actually is. And that author is Al-Imam, Al-Alim, Al-Hafiz, Al-Sadiq, Al-Qudwah. العابد الأثري المتبع عالم الحفاظ تقي الدين أبو محمد تقي الدين أبو محمد عبد الغني ابن عبد الواحد ابن علي ابن سرور الجماعيلي المقدسي ثم الدمشقي المنشأ so he is Taqiyuddin Abu Muhammad Abdul Ghani Ibn Abdul Wahid Ibn Ali Ibn Surur Al Jamma'ili Al Maqdisi Thumma Dimashqi Al Mansha Al Salihi Al Hambali that's the name of the author. And as you can see on the covers, more commonly and easily referred to as Abdul Ghani Al-Maqdisi. Abdul Ghani Ibn Abdul Wahid Al-Maqdisi. So that is the name of this author who wrote this particular book, a brief summary of the seerah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But who was this author then? Who was Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi? He was born in Jamma'il. Born in Jamma'il, in the land of Nablus, in the year 541 Hijri. Born in Jamma'il, in the land of Nablus, Palestine, Palestine, in the year 541 Hijri. 541 Hijri, meaning 541 years after the Hijra was made, so just over 500 years after the death of the Prophet wasallam is when this Imam was born, Abdul Ghani ibn Abdul Wahid al-Maqdisi. 
And he is known as Al-Maqdisi because he was born near Baytul Maqdis. Because the area where he was born in, Jamma'il, was near Baytul Maqdis. Uh, so he was close to Al-Baytul Maqdis. ثُمَّ انْتَقَلَ مَعَ أُسْرَتِهِ مِنْ بَيْتِ الْمَقْدِسِ إِلَى مَسْجِدِ أَبِي صَالِحِ خَارِجَ الْبَابَ شَرْقِي لِمَدِينَةِ دِمَشْقِ أَوَّلًا Then he moved with his family from Bayt al-Maqdis to basically an area of Damascus or to the sides of Damascus. ثُمَّ انْتَقَلَتْ أُسْرَتُهُ إِلَى صَحِّ جَبَلْ قَاسِيُونَ فَبَنَوْ دَارًا تَحْتَوِي عَلَى عَدَدٍ كَبِيرٍ مِنَ الْحُجُرَاتِ دُعِيَتْ بِدَارِ الْحَنَابِلَةِ ثُمَّ شَرَعُوا فِي بِنَاءِ أَوَّلِ مَدْرَسَةٍ فِي جَبَلِ قَاسِيُونَ وَهِيَ الْمَعْرُوفَ بِالْمَدْرَسَةِ الْعُمَرِيَّةِ وَقَدْ عُرِفَتْ تِلْكَ الضَّاحِيَةِ التي سكنوها بالصالحية فيما بعد نسبة إليهم لأنهم كانوا من أهل العلم والصلاح The area where they settled and they built their house It's mentioned how they built a large house with many rooms in it and it became known as a place of knowledge and people of knowledge and that area afterwards became known as As-Salihiyyah, the righteous area, because there used to be so many of those righteous people, the scholars, uh, and those surrounding them and their families. So it became known and named after those people of knowledge of righteousness, recognized as the place of righteousness. Ittajaha الحافظ عبد الغني إلى طلب العلم في سن مبكرة إمام عبد الغني المقدسي set out to seek knowledge from a young age he set out to seek knowledge from a young age فتتلمذ في صغاره على عميد أسرته So from a young age he was seeking knowledge from the head of his family العلامة الفاضل الشيخ محمد ابن أحمد ابن قدامة المقدسي So he was seeking knowledge from the head of his family الشيخ محمد ابن أحمد ابن قدامة المقدسي أبو عمر ثم تتلمذ على شيوخ دمشق وعلمائها Then after that he studied with the scholars of Damascus He studied with the scholars of Damascus فأخذ عنهم الفقه وغيره من العلوم And so he studied fiqh and other sciences of knowledge from them and that is something you see commonly in all of the scholars, how from a young age, they go out in the path of knowledge straight away. From a young age, 
they are in the path of seeking knowledge and gaining knowledge. And the same with Abdul Ghani Al-Maqdisi. From a young age, he was upon the path of seeking knowledge, learning fiqh, learning other aspects of Islam. From a young age, he was in that studying. And it mentions, كَانَتْ لَهُ رَحَلَاتِ عِلْمِيَّةِ جَابَ خِلَالَهَا كَثِيرًا مِنَ الْبِقَاعِ وَسَمِعَ فِيهَا بِدِمَشْقِ وَالْإِسْكَنْدَرِيَّةِ وَبَيْتِ الْمَقْدِسِ وَمِصْرِ وَبَغْدَادِ وَحَرَّانِ وَالْمُوصِلِ وَأَصْبَهَانِ وَحَمَذَانِ وَغَيْرَهَا He traveled to many different lands to seek knowledge. He traveled to many different lands to seek knowledge. So he sought knowledge in Damascus. He sought knowledge in Alexandria. He sought knowledge in Bayt al-Maqdis, in that home area where he was born. He sought knowledge in Egypt, in Baghdad, in Harran, in Mosul, in Iraq, in Asbahan, in Hamadan, various areas and cities and lands across that region. And there are big distances in those days. We're talking a thousand years ago he was alive. A thousand years ago. Traveling from Iraq to Egypt, to Jerusalem, to Palestine, those areas and all around that Middle Eastern area in those days a thousand years ago. Traveling around to these various places to seek knowledge, just as the Salaf they used to do. Just as they used to travel around to the scholars of the different lands in seeking knowledge. So he learned from the various scholars of those areas, from some of them Abu Zur'a al-Maqdisi was from his scholars, and there were many others that are to be mentioned also. And of course there were many students who learned from him. He had many students afterwards who learned from him also. And the scholars who lived at his time, they mentioned a lot of praise for Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi. They mentioned a lot of praise for him. And that shows that he was a well-recognized and respected scholar. Some of them they said about him, صَنَّفَ فِي الْحَدِيثِ تَصَانِيفَ حَسَنَةِ He wrote many good books in hadith. They praised him, the other scholars. One of them said, he wrote very many good books in hadith. Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi. وَكَانَ غَزِيرَ الْحِفْظِ And he was very expansive. In his memorization, he had a lot of depth in his memorization, strength and ability and a wide range in his memorization. Min ahlil itqan tajweed from the people of precision and tajweed, he learned from them and memorized from them. He guarded over and preserved and recognized and learned the various fields of hadith, the various knowledges, fields and sciences of hadith. 
عارفاً بقوانينه somebody who had knowledge of the laws of hadith وأصوله and the foundations and principles وعلاله and the problems and issues that you have in hadith in identifying if it's authentic or not he had knowledge of all of these things صحيحه وسقيمه وناسخه ومنسوخه whether a hadith was abrogating another one whether it was okay and still valid he had knowledge of all of these affairs his knowledge spread across all of these sciences another one of the scholars mentioned كان شيخنا الحافظ لا يكاد يسأل عن حديث إلا ذكره وبينه that Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi rarely ever used to get asked about any hadith except that he would know it and clarify it and explain it. Rarely would there ever be a situation that he would be asked about a hadith except that he would clarify. So it was only very rare that he wouldn't know about a hadith. Vast majority of the circumstances Whenever he was asked about a hadith, he would clarify and know it and explain it. And he would be able to mention to them about the authenticity of it or the weakness of it. So he was somebody of knowledge. Al-Imam al-Dhahbi said about him that he was al-Imam. He was an Imam, an Alim, a great scholar, a Hafiz. Somebody of strong memorization, memorized a lot. Al-Kabir, somebody in high regard, his knowledge and status. As-Sadiq, very truthful. Abid, a firm worshipper of Allah. Al-Athari, that he followed the narrations. And Al-Muttabi', that he followed in that Quran and Sunnah, followed the narrations. And that he was clinging on to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. These are types of descriptions mentioned about Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi rahimahullahu ta'ala. He also wrote many books. This isn't the only book that he wrote. This book in Seerah, Biography of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the History. This isn't the only book that he wrote. He wrote many other books too. Many books in fact. And most of his books were in the field of hadith. Most of his books were about hadith. And probably the most famous book that he wrote in hadith is the book Umdatul Ahkam. There's a famous book in hadith, Umdatul Ahkam. So he wrote, Umdatul Ahkam fi ahadith al Ahkam, Mimma tafaka alayhi al Imaman, al Bukhari wa Muslim rahimahumullah. Umdatul Ahkam in the hadith about the rulings that are agreed upon by al Imam al Bukhari and Imam Muslim. So it is a book of fiqh, of hadith, that are agreed upon by Bukhari and Muslim. Known as Umdatul Ahkam, a famous book that many of the scholars, they advise that you should do uh, from the early stages of studying. Also, 
he wrote another very famous book. Another very famous book. He was the first person to write a book about the narrators of the six books of hadith. And that was the book known as Al-Kamal. Fi Ma'arifatir-Rijal. And that is a huge book which covers the narrators that are in Al-Bukhari, in Muslim, in Abu Dawood, in An-Nasai, in At-Tirmidhi, and an Ibn Majah. In all of those six books, the narrators, he wrote their biographies. This is a huge book. We're not talking about two or three volumes. We're talking 20, 30, 40 volumes big. That's the size of this book. It's a huge encyclopedia. It's so big, so detailed. Imagine all of those hadith in Bukhari, Muslim, Dawud, Tirmidhi, Nisa, Ibn Majah. Then imagine all of the narrators in the chains of narration. He wrote their biographies. Huge book. Then afterwards that book was summarized. The summary is almost 30 volumes or something big. That's the summary. The summary is 30 volumes or so. Then there's a summary of the summary, which you can get in four volumes. Then there's a summary of the summary of the summary, which you can get in one volume. But the original one, you can imagine how big that was. The smallest one now, the summary of the summary of the summary, is still a book which is a big thick book like that. And that's summarized down about four times. It's a big, thick book, still a thousand pages or more bigger. Then that one, the one bigger than that, is still four volumes, and that's a summary of the summary. Then the one after that is 30 volumes or so, and then after that is the original huge book, this huge encyclopedia. Imagine how long that takes, going through all the hadith, all of the narrators, writing the biographies, so that is what he did in that huge book, Al-Kamal Fi Ma'rifatir Rijal. And there are other books, like we said, he wrote many books. So he is an author, a scholar, a person of knowledge, wrote many books as well. When did he die? مَا زَالَ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ يُتْحَفُ, يتحف الْأُمَّ بِعِلْمِهِ وَكُتُبِهِ وَرَسَائِلِهِ الْقَيِّمَةِ he carried on gifting to this ummah his knowledge and his books and his works, his beneficial, valuable works, and worshipping Allah and calling the people to his religion until he died. And that was on the 23rd day of Rabi'ul Awwal in the year 600. And so he was 59 years old. And he was buried in Egypt. So that is the Imam that wrote this book. He is Al Imam Abdul Ghani Al Maqdisi Rahimahullahu Ta'ala. The same person who wrote Umdatul Ahkam. So he is the author of this book, one of the great scholars of the past. Like we said, lived approximately a thousand years ago. So now, the actual book that he wrote, the book in Sira, he says, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. 
or rather that is the introduction into it. قال الشيخ الإمام الحبر الحافظ أبو محمد عبد الغني ابن عبد الواحد المقدسي رضي الله عنه وأرضاه الحمد لله خالق الأرض والسماء وجاعل النور والظلماء وجامع الخلق لفصل القضاء لفوز المحسنين وشقوة أهل الشقاء that is a general introduction. Praise be due to Allah, the creator of the earth and the skies, the earth and the heavens, and the one who created light and darkness, and the one who uh, brings together and resurrects all of the creation for that judgment and accountability, so that the righteous will be successful and the evil will be in that distress and loss. وَأَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهِ شَهَادَةً يَسْعَدُ بِهَا قَائِلُهَا يَوْمَ الْجَزَاءِ And then he says that I bear testimony that there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah. And that uh, that is the test and no partners alongside him. And that is the testimony that the one who says it will be in happiness on the day of resurrection, on the day of accountability and recompense. وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَى سَيِّدِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ وَالْأَنْبِيَاءِ محمد وآله وصحبه النجابا وبعد فهذه جملة مختصرة من أحوال سيدنا ونبينا He says this is a small summarized section of some of the situations, some of the background, some of the stories, the seerah of our Prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم the selected one المصطفى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يستغني عنها أحد من المسلمين None of the Muslims can suffice without this. You all need to have knowledge of who your Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu is. نفعنا الله بها ومن قرأها وسمعها That may Allah give us benefit from it and those who read it and listen to it. So then he begins with the first chapter. And in this first chapter, he says, Nasabuhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The lineage of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The lineage of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He is of course Abu al-Qasim. Abu al-Qasim, that is the Prophet ﷺ, Abu al-Qasim, Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, the son of Abdul Muttalib, the son of Hashim, the son of Abd Manaf, the son of Usay, the son of Kulab, the son of Murrah, the son of Ka'ab, the son of Lu'ay, the son of Ghalib, the son of Fahr, the son of Malik, the son of Al-Nadr, the son of Kanana, the son of Khuzayma, the son of Mudraka, the son of Ilyas, the son of Mudar, the son of Nizar, the son of Ma'ad, the son of Adnan. Up to that, 
is absolutely agreed upon by the scholars. Look at how much of the lineage is known of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. How many grandfathers up did we go there? All of that agreed upon by the scholars up to there. All of that agreed upon by the scholars up to there. But it doesn't stop there. <coughs> the lineage carries on. But from this point onwards, there is some debate between the scholars exactly what it is. But it is generally still mentioned. Up to what we've just said now is agreed upon. This next section has a bit more discussion over it. But it carries on. The son of Udada, the son of Al Muqawwim, the son of Nahur, the son of Tayrah, the son of Ya'rub, the son of Yashub, the son of Nabit, the son of Ismail, the son of Ibrahim. So you can see his lineage comes from Ibrahim alayhi salam. The son of Tarih, or sometimes they say Azar, that Ibrahim was the son of Azar, it is mentioned. And they say Tarih, the son of Nahur, the son of Saru', the son of Ra'u, the son of Falikh, the son of Aibar, the son of Shalikh, the son of Arfakhshad, the son of Sam, the son of Nuh. So now look, the lineage gone up to Nuh, alayhi salam. The son of Lamk, the son of Mutawshalkh, the son of Akhnukh, the son of Idris, who was also the prophet. As it is mentioned. And that has a discussion in of itself. The son of Yard, the son of Mahlil, the son of Qainan, the son of Yanush, the son of Sheath, the son of Adam. Alayhi salam. That is a full lineage. Every grandfather all the way up to Adam alayhi salam. Like we said, up to Adnan, that was the section known and agreed upon. After that, going up to Ibrahim, then up to Nuh, and then finally up to Adam, those sections have a bit more discussion over them. But generally, that's how it is mentioned. All the way... Up to Adam alayhi salam. وَهَذَا النَّسَبْ ذَكَرَهُ مُحَمَّدِ بْنُ إِسْحَاقِ ابْنُ يَسَارِ الْمَدَنِي فِي إِحْدَى الْرِوَايَاتِ عَنْهُ Muhammad ibn Ishaq, he was a famous scholar or a famous uh, scholar who wrote about Sirah. And in his book of Sirah, that's the lineage that he mentioned. That is the lineage all the way up to Adam alayhi salam that he mentioned in his book. So, Ila Abdul Ghani al-Maqdasi himself says, Ila Adnan, up to Adnan, it is agreed upon. Muttafaqun ala sahatihi min ghayr ikhtilafi. There is no difference about it up to Adnan. Agreed upon those grandfathers up to that. Then, وَمَا بَعْدَهُ مُخْتَلَفٌ فِي But after Adnan going up to Adam, that section, there is some discussion and debate over those areas. So that would mean what then? That would mean we have 
Count them now. Muhammad his father, Abdullah. His father, Abdul Muttalib. His father, Hashim. His father, Abd Manaf. His father, Usay. His father, Kulab. His father, Murrah. His father, Kaab. His father, Lu'ay. His father, Ghalib. His father, Fahr. His father, Malik. His father, An-Nadr. His father, Kanana. His father, Khuzayma. His father, Mudraka. His father, Ilyas. His father, Mudar. His father, Nizar. His father, Ma'ad. His father, Adnan. How many do you make it? What's going on? 21, 22, 23, nobody can count anymore? 21 generations. No, not the Prophet from his father. From his father up to Adnan was 21. So you can see how far that lineage is absolutely agreed upon and known. Not just grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. 20, 21 grandfathers up. Agreed upon and known about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And then after that, obviously we said there's a bit more discussion, but if you carried it on, carries on to 20, 30, 40, all the way up to Adam alayhi salam. So that is the lineage of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, And this is a type of thing that you will notice. One of the things the Salaf they used to mention is that Allah honored, gave honor to this ummah with the chains of narration. Whereas the other people don't have that. If you look at the Bible, now obviously we know the Bible has changed from the original Injil that Allah sent. If you look at the different versions of the Bibles now, they all have different lineages for Isa alayhi salam. So which one is the right one? All different Bibles with different lineages, different numbers, different everything all mixed up. Here, 20 odd grandfathers agreed upon, known, established, no difference, no this, no that. And then even beyond that, carrying on the lineage exists. So that is the lineage of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We know, or Al Imam Ibn Al Qayyim Rahimahullah Ta'ala said, Ilahahuna ma'alumu siha. Up to Adnan 21. Grandfathers going up to Adnan. He said, up to here, it is absolutely established and known authenticity of that. Muttafaqun alayhi nasabin. Agreed upon amongst the, what we call these days, the historians. The historians who look into the lineage of people and your background. And these days they do all that DNA and where you're from and everything. Those types of people, experts in that field, Ibn Qayyim says, are agreed up to this point of Adnan, that is the lineage. The Nasabin, those who look into the lineage and they are aware of the lineages. And there is no difference up to Adnan at all. Above the level of Adnan, the grandfathers going above that, there is difference and issue over that. 
or some discussion over that. وَلَا خِلَافَ بَيْنَهُمْ But, one point you can make note of, there is no difference between them though, أَنَّ عَدْنَانَ مِنْ وَلَدِ إِسْمَاعِيلِ That, from Adnan, remember we went up and up and up and we got to Ibrahim. Or before Ibrahim, then you get to Ismail alayhi salam, then Ibrahim alayhi salam. Even though we said from Adnan going upwards, there's some discussion over it. There is no discussion over the fact that it does end up at Ismail to Ibrahim. Even if in between there's some discussion, was it this grandfather, that grandfather, etc. What is known, it does end up to Ismail and then to the son of uh, the son of Ibrahim salam. So, don't think that when we say after Adnan there's some discussion, meaning that maybe he doesn't go to Ibrahim. Maybe the lineage doesn't go to Ibrahim. It doesn't mean that. The lineage goes to Ismail, to Ibrahim. It's just a case of some discussion of how and the names of it getting to Ismail, to the son of, Ibra- uh, the son of Ibrahim. Also, one other point to mention is Abdul Muttalib. We mentioned this before. Abdul Muttalib was not actually his real name. What was actually his real name? Shayba. And sometimes they say Shayba to Alhamd. So if his name was actually Shayba, Abdul Muttalib, his name was actually Shayba. Then why was he called Abdul Muttalib? And everybody says Abdul Muttalib, even in the lineage they write Abdul Muttalib. Why is he known as Abdul Muttalib when his name was actually Shayba, the grandfather of the Prophet? Yeah. Title. But why? It was his title, but why? What's the story behind how he got that title? People thought he was a slave of there's a story that the grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ, known as Abdul Muttalib, when he was young, when Abdul Muttalib was young, on one occasion he was with his uncle. Abdul Muttalib was with his uncle when Abdul Muttalib was a young boy, when the grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ was a young boy. On one occasion, he was traveling with his uncle, who was called Muttalib. His uncle was called just Al-Muttalib. So when Al-Muttalib arrived from traveling uh, to a particular city, they knew who Al-Muttalib was. This boy, who was his nephew, they didn't know him. So when they arrived, they thought Al-Muttalib had just brought along a slave boy just to help him along on the journey because he had dust all over him, disheveled, everything. So they thought he's just a slave boy he's brought along just to help him in the journey and everything else. Really, that was his nephew. So they began upon the assumption that he's just a slave boy that Al-Muttalib has brought along. They began calling him the slave of Al-Muttalib, which in Arabic is... Abd, Abd means slave. Abdul Muttalib. They began calling him, he's the, he's the slave of Al-Muttalib. They didn't know that was his nephew actually. So then from that moment onwards, he just became known as Abdul Muttalib. 
Abdul Muttalib, Abdul Muttalib. And his name was actually Shaybah. So that was the grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ. And there are details mentioned about him in history as well, about the grandfather of the Prophet ﷺ, that prior to Islam, the Quraysh, what they were upon and their control over Mecca, Abdul Muttalib, he was actually considered as what we may call these days the chief of Mecca. They never used to have a system where there was a nominated leader or president or prime minister or whatever we call them these days. But they had an overall recognized leader or chief as we might say. And Abdul Muttalib used to be that. He used to be that person. So when the story of the elephant happened, for example, when the army Abraha came with the army to try and destroy the Kaaba, that was before the Prophet ﷺ was born. Abdul Muttalib was the chief, as we say, of Mecca. And Abraha came and he sat with Abdul Muttalib and he spoke with him. And that story happened when Abraha came and he was looting and taking everything. And he came and met with Abdul Muttalib, the chief of Mecca. And they all knew, Abdul Muttalib, everybody knew why Abraha was there. He was there to destroy the Kaaba. He came to destroy the Kaaba. So Abraha said to Abdul Muttalib, your situation, you know what's going on now. So what do you say? Like, you know I'm here to destroy the Kaaba, everything. What do you say? He said, I am in charge of my property. My property is the camels and everything else around Mecca. Allah is in authority over the Kaaba. So for me, what I say is, give me my camels back. That's my property. That's what I've got to look after. Abraha said to him, I'm here with my army, with the elephants. Why did they bring the elephants? Because they were going to put the chains around the elephants and the other end of the chain around the Kaaba. Then they were going to make all the elephants run and that would bring down the Kaaba. That's what they were going to do. He said, I'm here with all of my army. And remember when he came with his army from Yemen, on the way the Arabs were trying to stop them. Every tribe of Arabs that tried to stop them, Abraha crushed them. Crushed them all. Crushed them all until he got to Mecca. He said, I'm here to destroy the Kaaba. And all you're interested is in your camels. Abdul Muttalib said, I'm in charge of my camels. I'm in responsibility over my camels. That's what I'm asking you about. Allah has the authority over the Kaaba. Allah will look after the Kaaba. So that was Abdul Muttalib. Because even in those days, in the times of shirk, like we said, the mushrikun used to have respect for the Kaaba. They used to have respect for the Kaaba even in those days. So that is the lineage of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Then, just to mention as well, Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi says here now, in this next small section, the mother of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Because of course the mother is not mentioned in that lineage. So the mother of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was of course called Amina. Amina, the daughter of Wahab. 
Amina, the daughter of Wahab, the daughter of Abd Manaf, the daughter of Zuhrah, the daughter of Kulab, daughter, uh, oh sorry, no, no, no. Sons. Amina was the daughter of Wahab, who was the son of Abd Manaf, correct that. Amina was the daughter of Wahab, who was the son of Abd Manaf, the son of Zuhra, the son of Kulab, or the son of Murra, the son of Ka'ab, the son of Lu'ay, the son of Ghalib. So you can see now that lineage, when you put it alongside the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ, it meets, it meets, and it meets where? So it meets at the, which grandfather? Amina was the daughter of Wahab, her grandfather was Abd Manaf, her great-grandfather was Zuhra, great-great-grandfather was Kulab. Abd Manaf. So they are meeting where? If it is the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ says, Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim ibn Abd Manaf ibn Qusay ibn Kulab ibn Murrah ibn Ka'ab ibn Lu'ay and here though it says Amina the daughter of Wahab the son of Abd Manaf the son of Zuhra the son of Kulab the son of Murrah, the son of Ka'ab, the son of Lu'ay, the son of Ghalib. So the Abd Manaf here appears to be a different one. So where is the meeting where it seems to be the same? At the Kulab. That seems to be where it matches. So that would be the first, second, third grandfather of Amina, the fourth up, and in regards to the Prophet ﷺ, where is that? Abdullah was his father, then Abdul Muttalib, then Hashim, then Abd Manaf, then Qusay, then Kulab. That's generally, we're going to come to those details yet though. Those details and how it meets and everything, it will be mentioned later on as well yet. So, that is the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ, the mother of the Prophet ﷺ. The next small section here is regarding when the Prophet ﷺ was born. When the Prophet ﷺ was born. There is a difference of opinion as to exactly when he was born. And this is mentioned, Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi says, Wulida Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bimakkah amal fil. That he was born in Makkah the year of the elephant. That story we just mentioned, that man Abraha, the Christian who came from Yemen with the army, with the elephants to destroy the Kaaba, the year that event happened, 
it was in that year the Prophet ﷺ was born. In the month of Rabi'ul Awwal, on a Monday, what date? Here it says, لِلَيْلَتَيْنِ خَلَتَا مِنْهُ That would make it two nights gone by. So what date are we looking at? It doesn't really make a big difference. Because the exact date isn't established. As Abdul Ghani al-Maqdisi says, some of them said it was actually three, بعد الفيل بثلاثين عاما, 30 years after the events of the elephant story. Even though that is not the widespread and common opinion, it's an opinion. Some of them said بأربعين عاما, 40 years after the events of the elephant story. And the correct opinion is though he was born in the year of the elephant or thereabouts. In the year of the elephant, the story of the elephant which is in the Quran. Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuka bi ashab al-feel. Have a look at the tafsir of that surah. That's about the story of the elephant. So what is established is that he was born that year or thereabouts. What month exactly and what date exactly is not proven. Here Rabi'ul Awwal it mentions. Some scholars have mentioned other months. Some scholars have even mentioned it was in Ramadan that he was born. There are opinions, at least six opinions as to when he was born. So that is differed over regarding the exact date he was born. Which shows you all of the innovation that people do about the birthday. There are six opinions at least. They're not all mentioned here, but there are six opinions at least about the date of when he was born. So, what we can say though is, it was in the year of the elephant or thereabouts. That's where we'll round off for today, those opening few sections. Next week we're going to start with the chapter that talks about his parents, when his father died, when his mother died, that section onwards from that part of the history, we're going to start looking at it from there, and then what he did as a young child, and who uh, wet-nursed him, and the various incidents from his childhood, that's where we'll begin from next week, inshallah ta'ala. This week your homework can be... To look into that issue of where the lineage of the father of the Prophet ﷺ and the mother of the Prophet ﷺ meets. Abd Manaf you said, but it looks like it's a different Abd Manaf. Then you have Kulab, so what number is that? Details like that. Have a look at that, see if you can do any research on that for your homework this week. And then next week we'll mention that and move on to those topics we've just said. Any questions or anything on that so far then? As you get to the name Abdul uh, Muttalib, is that a name that would be permissible? It is an impermissible name, of course we know. Al-Muttalib is not one of the names of Allah, so you cannot say Abdul Muttalib. Uh, why do we keep saying it then? Why don't we say Shayba then? History. 
purely because of history and that's what he's known as. If now somebody says, Shayba, this happened to Shayba and Shayba, who Shayba? Nobody knows. When you say Abdul Muttalib, everybody knows now the grandfather of the Prophet So for the purposes of identification, historically that's just what's happened now. That's why it's mentioned. As a name though, it's impermissible. You cannot name Abdul Muttalib. Alright, we'll round off on that for today. Carry on next week inshallah ta'ala at 7.30. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyya na muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.